0: listening to Rogue Table Talks. Here's Mike. Welcome back to Rogue Table Talks. Uh, RTT122. That's (laughs) RTT122. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Uh, We're going to talk about the gospel uh, some more. Uh, Some more different angles uh, on the gospel. It's Mike and Chad here. Uh, and um, how you doing this, this fine morning. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning. Mm-hmm. It's a little cool. Uh, the hint of the the uh, autumnal is uh, mm-hmm. a- approaches us. Uh, so it was like this time of year when uh, uh, it's interesting how suddenly it seems like it's gradual but sudden. like now at 6 a.m, when my alarm goes off, it's dark, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like oh that happened quick, uh, and uh, partly it's the difference between the sun coming up a little and there's enough light and and before just a few minutes before it's dark, so it is sort of seem, um, I don't know, it seems earlier when it's not earlier, but it's just dark, uh, but it's kind of a good thing too that uh, you know in July when you wake up. It's six and it's like full sun and it's already like 80 <laughs> degrees yeah <laughs> and 80 percent humidity <laughs> uh so at least it's not that at least it's, yeah, not, least
1: that. it's not that that's true uh, i feel like the seasons in this area are just long enough like you get enough summer and you're like oh, okay i'm ready for the cool you get enough winter oh, okay i'm ready you know but not too long like other parts of the u.s uh but you get enough of them yeah
0: yeah, I 100% agree. It's a full seasonal experience here in the STL. Um, and uh, that's not true in lots of other pretty nice places. I don't know what it would be. I mean, I really don't think I would like living in, let's say, Phoenix, uh, where there isn't a lot of... I mean, there's some seasonal variation, but it seems minute compared to the, what we have. Yeah. Uh uh, you know, my brother, I have a brother who lives in Orlando and he really doesn't like it cause it's the hot and humid lasts a really long, you can have a really hot and humid day in, uh, like mid-October sometimes. Well, it's like there's summer Mid-October. and less summer. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah I'm so, I that, don't know. Yeah. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'll feel differently when I'm like 80. It seems like that's what people do when they're 80. They go <laughs> well, you can get colder or warm, easier. But, yeah, uh... so you like the sun. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, so Paul. Paul mm-hmm. lived in warm climates, I think. Uh, in the Middle East, Palestine, or Southern Southern Europe. And uh, it's probably warm when he wrote this. But he's, he's writing this letter to the Galatians. Uh, and he's... Um, sort of bemoaning their their complication they're adding stuff to the gospel which he calls you know uh, embracing another gospel and he spends a little time talking about the gospel and in this case he's talking about um, its origin I guess it's um, and so we're going to kind of get to the authority of the message the authority of Paul's message the authority of the apostolic message and maybe what that means to us, and how do we, how do we handle or deal with uh, the authority of Scripture. But, um, so first 10 verses of chapter 2, let me read it real quick, and then dive in a couple of, I got a couple of angles I kind of want to think about uh, together. Paul is given his story of, of being at the encounter with Jesus, and we kind of referred to that last time. So then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us to slavery, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me, from mine, to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they did the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So in this passage, he's sort of bringing his message uh, after 14 years and the passage of time. And here's the here's the gospel that I'm preaching and he shares it with, uh, these apostles and they, uh, say that's our gospel too. That's right. That's the gospel. So there's sort of a stamp of approval, uh, and agreement among these authorities. Um, and yet I want to start with, um, Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Um, and that's sort of part of the message he has to the Galatians who, uh, after accepting the gospel, some of these people, these Judaizers came in and said, that's fine, but you also need to be circumcised in order to be a follower. You also need to keep the law. Uh, And he's saying, he's contrasting here. Well, even Titus, who was a Greek, you know, was not forced to be circumcised. There's nothing about the gospel Mm -hmm. that says that, that that says you should be circumcised as a way to, to live in a gospel way. Um, And, you know, we've sort of talked about that a bit now. One of the things that I wanted to, you know, discuss a bit was the situation with Timothy. Uh, And, you know, there's—Paul writes a couple letters to Timothy um, that are later in the New Testament. Uh, But we get the story of Timothy uh, in Acts, when Timothy starts to travel with Paul. Uh, And Timothy's mm, father was a Greek and his mother was a Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've got that right. Um, and so... Um, or the other way around. It's not, doesn't, I'm not sure that really matters. Anyway. Greek uh, father, so Jewish mother. So he becomes mother. a convert. He becomes a follower. Okay, Greek father, Jewish mother. That's what I said. So uh, so Timothy was uncircumcised. Uh, he comes to be a follower. And basically it says they thought it prudent that he be circumcised as they go to minister uh, among the Jews there. Um, and so I kind of want to parse out what the difference is between the two situations yeah. and what why kind of principle one of them, there so why is, why is for Why is Timothy us? circumcised
1: and why not Titus?
0: Right, right. So, um, I don't know. I, I've got some, I mean, that's, we're sort of guessing, but we're, we're, dry, you know, I think we're pulling biblical principles out of this, um, this, these, these two situations. And I have some thoughts, I think. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts you want to start with, or should I just jump in? You want to hear mine first?
1: Yeah, you go, you go first. I have a couple of thoughts, but you start us off.
0: Well, it seems to me there's, one is, uh... In the case of the Galatians, in the case of Titus, it's this, this statement of whether or not a follower of Jesus needs to be circumcised as a matter of salvific, you know, identity. That, uh, that keeping the law and being circumcised is a thing you do as a Christ follower. That's part of the gospel. That's the thing that Paul's saying. No, it's not. You're saved by grace through faith. That's the deal. Uh, you're not saved by works, you're not saved by keeping the law, the law can't save you, Um, you can't keep it anyway, you know, all that's over with, Jesus keeps the law for us, that whole thing, that's the gospel. Um, And that's different, it seems, from Timothy, who comes to faith, and as a matter of, in a sense, strategy, listen, if Timothy's circumcised, it will be easier for us to... Uh, minister among the Jews uh, in that area. It's almost as if it's to the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. It's a strategic move of an ambassador. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing something that helps you have an audience with those you're sharing the gospel, a strategic move rather than a required move of the gospel. And those two things seem to be pretty different. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. Um, it's not an exact one-to-one, but I think if you look at baptism, uh, we don't think that someone has to be baptized in order to be saved or experience salvation, and yet um, we it, baptism is a command of Jesus. So like I said, it's not a one-to-one because circumcision is not a command, but like you, you're you putting it, it is a strategic move in the sense of if you're going to communicate to this culture and and the difference between titus and timothy one of them is titus was pure greek and timothy was if he was brought up by a mother he a jewish mother he would have been considered uh jewish by by the jews so by race and training timothy was already very jewish and not to be circumcised and to reach that culture would have been more of a stumbling block and a hindrance than to be circumcised. But again, this is not in the category of how do I receive grace? Well, you have to be circumcised, or how do I become a part of the, the covenantal community? Well, you have to be circumcised. That's just not true. And they're wrestling with this because it was true, right? I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, I'm preaching on uh, the Trinity this weekend and, the early church doesn't have a fully fleshed out theology of Trinity because their commitment to monotheism uh, was really strong, as it should have been. All the early Christians would have said the Shema, you know, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're wrestling with these concepts. But is Jesus lower than God or is Jesus God? And if Jesus is God, do we have two gods? Do we have three gods? Well, we can't have that. We have to have one God. Well, How do we explain this? And similarly, um you're coming out of a story where here's what marks you as a member of the covenant community. Males were circumcised and that uh, was a mark for the whole household in that patriarchal society. It was a mark for the whole household, um, husbands, wives, children, servants. Uh, but now the mission is catapulted to the Gentiles. It was always meant to be, but now it finds new expression. And how do we, How do we go forward and include these people and members of the covenant community? If this is what God wants to do is break down the walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile. You can kind of sympathize where they're coming from. Do we do we circumcise these people or not? We don't know. Um, And Paul uh, and they come to the consensus. No, Uh, but you could see why many of them said yes. Uh, You could see um, and we on this side of it far away understand that clearly the answer is no. And that's what they arrived at. Um, But I do think it's more of a strategic move. It's more of a missional move.
0: It's definitely not a salvific move. Yeah, there's a big difference between, you know, Paul might say circumcision, non-circumcision doesn't mean anything for your salvation. So there's a big difference between being circumcised or not versus requiring circumcision as a you know, a bar to cross for salvation. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the distinction here is nobody, Paul does, there's nothing in what Paul says that indicates Timothy wasn't already a Christ follower uh, and that he didn't need to be circumcised just to remain a Christ follower. It was more about, as you said, it might have been offensive to many of the Jews there for Timothy to have a Jewish mother and not be circumcised, you know. Uh, and so, there, you know, he didn't want to make that. To, so, to not make that statement, we're going to do this or that or the other thing. Uh, and so, I think that's an important, important thing for us to consider that principle, uh, because I do think what is an exercise of Christian freedom. On the one hand, which I think is our emphasis now in the church, in the American church, at least in my experience of the church, is, you know, wh- that we want to live in freedom and then what is a strategic move that i would in a sense uh, let go of some of those freedoms to for a, a, a way to reach someone for the gospel uh, and you know it's similar to you know paul saying eat, you know eating meat in the markets in the marketplace and paul talks about that i think it's in 2 corinthians and you know is this right or is this wrong And and he basically seems to say, listen, uh, you know, don't worry about meat sold in marketplaces. Maybe it was in a temple. Maybe it was, you know, used in idol worship. You don't know. Maybe not. Idol's a block of wood. It's fine. Just eat with thankfulness. It's fine. However, if it would offend someone, if it would offend your brother or your sister, or perhaps offend someone who might be uh, an object of your, you know, ministry, well, then obviously, it's not so important that you know you should definitely give that up in order to accomplish your mission, in order to live in community, in order to love your neighbor, because that's more important. Mm-hmm. You have the freedom to eat the meat, but you, uh, in love, you ought to of course, let go of that freedom whenever it's necessary in order to live out, you know the gospel mission. It seems like this is that sort of a thing. And I'm not sure we do, like we, I'm not sure we do that well, thinking, okay, all right, I'm a a Christ follower. I have the gospel. That's done. That's settled. Now, how do I live out? I mean, that's over here. I've got freedom. That's fine. How do I live out something? In some ways, to love you is meaning I'm not going to exercise all my freedoms all the time. And that second move, I think, is a move that, Uh, I think for some almost feels like, well, I, I've got the free, you know, nobody should, I've got the freedom. I can do this. I can eat meat or whatever. Uh, and I think we sometimes are missing the point. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Well, let me translate it into a different world. And, uh, this is not everyone's world, but try to illustrate it. So I was talking with a, um, pastor friend of mine and they had recently, a. Uh, young guy on staff, good guy, um, had some ministry experience at some significant places and um, gave him the pulpit pretty soon uh, as he was on staff. And, um, you know, one of the things he did was he read from a translation that is minorly controversial. It's not the message. I can't remember what the translation is, but um, he read from that translation, preached from it, and then, you know, he said words like freaking, like, oh, this is freaking ridiculous or whatever. Um, and the the people started to, you know, c- call my pastor friend like, hey, um, we don't really know about that translation. And he says freaking up there and not everybody's comfortable with that. And uh, I think it's an illustration of okay, is that translation wrong or bad? Probably not. Is it wrong to say freaking in the pulpit? I don't think so. But the question is this, I, and I tell this to young communicators all the time, remove any unnecessary roadblocks to the people you're trying to reach. Like if it's about your self-expression or self-sacrifice, you should choose self-sacrifice. So let's just for instance if I go into a church somebody asks me to preach and they're a KJV only church then here's what I'm going to do I'm going to preach from the KJV because that's just where they are and I can I can bring out my ESV or NIV or whatever else but why why would I do that when I can communicate something that may feed them help them challenge them comfort them and to me, when you're faced with and that's hard because in this culture right now, probably in the last uh, eight, eight, ten years, um, authenticity has been moved to a high value. You know, a high moral, almost a moral value. Authenticity is morally right when authenticity is not moral or immoral, but the way you use it can be moral or immoral. So if I use my self-expression, I just got to be true to me here and screw all you guys. Well, you, you just placed, you know, you may have just placed three to four different roadblocks in front of your listeners, which I would argue that is immoral um, because you're trying to... This is what Paul says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. I became all things to all people so that I could... To, the, KJ, to, the, to KJV the KJV. To the KJV. I read the KJV. <laughs> Yeah, I know that's not everybody's world,
0: but that's (laughs) the closest analogy I could get. Well, that's a great, I mean, it's a great example where unless the point of your message is that you should have the freedom to use other translations, which is probably not a great message in a (laughs) KJV-only church, then to use a different translation, I mean, that's going to be what they hear. That's going to be what they focus on. That's going to be a stumbling block. That's going to be offensive. Whether it should be or not is not really relevant. Uh, if you want to speak on God's love, then to use the ESV is going to seem unloving and provocative and, you know, contradict, in a sense, your point by your actions. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so I think that's a, that's a good point. And I do think that's, but I think there is a sense of, but I don't want to give you the wrong impression of my understanding of my Christian freedom which is again if the topic is christian freedom that's one thing but if the topic is something else then it's fine you know th- th- it's fine if you th- if you end up thinking i have a different view of that i like the kjv when i really don't well, that's not really that big of a deal uh and it, you know it's in the big picture it means nothing uh but i do think that's the sort of thing where um and i do you know you know, in our present age, this sense of it, the, the, oh, the emphasis on freedom is, uh, yes, I have the freedom not to be vaccinated or not to wear a mask or not. Yes, you do. You do. Um, but what is the proper exercise of that freedom in order to love your brother is a different question. And people can come to a different answer to that question, I suppose. But I do think it's important for us to not be hung up on because I have this freedom, I must exercise it. That's, of course, an absurd statement. We wouldn't apply that in a lot of different areas, but we do tend to apply it selectively, that it's important for me to exercise this freedom, when really it's just, I want to do this, and I do have the freedom to do it, and so I'm going to do it, even if you don't like it. And I think that's, you know, essentially that's why Timothy, (laughs) you know, sad for Timothy, that's how he gets circumcised. Like, he got the he uh, got the wrong end of the deal on that, but uh <laughs> uh so anyway um okay, so freedom gospel uh circumcision ambassador uh you know got all that going on, and then we've got this consultation with the with the apostles on what the gospel is, and this just seems like another thing that's a interesting, um, I don't know, wrinkle that we don't always focus on. You know, the fact that other Christian leaders throughout history have a, a view, uh, uh, you know, in other words, the historical teachings of Augustine, Athanasius, you know, Luther, so on and so on and so on. Uh, I don't know if people in the church now know or care that much about that or um, you know what is the proper level of emphasis on on the uh, authority of the message presented through Martin Luther or through Augustine or whatever um, I don't know what are your thoughts on that that uh, what is the proper level of understanding or coordination or deference to some of these ancient teachers and why do we care about them what are your thoughts on that
1: i tend to categorize um there's scripture and then there's tradition and you know historical tradition theological tradition ecclesiological traditions fancy way of saying church so i one of my concerns is that the more kind of anti-historical that we are becoming in the west um and i say anti because i don't merely think we're just becoming um apathetic or nonchalant about history we're almost becoming anti you know history is bad or we're going to look at every person historical figure and we're going to demonize them because look at look at these terrible things that they've done I'm not saying they haven't done terrible things, but we be- begin to take a view of history that is antagonistic um, and a bit arrogant to assume that, you know, we were better. We don't make the same mistakes. Um, so my concern is that the more anti-historical we become, um, the more we will uh, become apathetic about what has tradition, what has church tradition said about um, this subject circumcision, uh, baptism, marriage, like, uh, missions. What, what has the church tradition said? Not as a, well, we have to do it the same way, but Hey, they have something to teach us. And if the church for 2000 years has held this view on blah, 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 then the burden of proof to interpret and to change that is on me, not, not the tradition. You see what I mean? So it's not a matter of, of the majority yeah. says this. It's not that simple. It is, well, the Orthodox Church, you know, there was only one church until 1054 and then split uh, East and West mm-hmm. Church, Eastern Orthodox, Catholicism, and then Protestant Reformation. Um, so I I would be very, very hesitant and concerned to cast out what did Augustine say? What did the Church Fathers teach? Um what have other traditions uh, and the the Protestant Reformation taught us? um, And what have they held to, at least for careful consideration?
0: Yeah, I do think that, um, I think that's an excellent point. And that's where I, I think that we can, you know, we should exercise some level of humility that, you know, maybe God did say true things to people a long time ago. And maybe the fact that Uh, you know, these these different uh, theologians and pastors of the past agreeing together on a gospel of salvation or agreeing together on a doctrine of Trinity uh, is important. And it doesn't mean, because I think sometimes there are those among us who feel like we're going to start with a blank slate, especially if, um, I, I think I see this in perhaps some who've come out of, Either Catholicism or some some belief system in which there there is a lot of attention paid to you know tradition and so on that you you know the, we swing to an anti-tradition place so now we have to relitigate everything from ground zero like we have to start from ground zero and you know tell me why you think that about the Trinity when I think we can do both you know we can hear what God has taught through the ages and we can see the word now and we can kind of some sort of harmony, just like, I don't think Paul thought he was wrong, but he wanted to, okay, James, okay, Peter, okay, John, are we all on the same page here? Because it's important that there is one message uh, for the whole church. Um, And I, I I think that sometimes feel like, history and tradition feels a bit restrictive to us nowadays. We want to be Mm -hmm. free to start from scratch, Uh, but then something is lost in that there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of work of God's Word and the Holy Spirit over the ages that we're missing out on if we're starting from from scratch. And I think think we could do a better job of that even as Bible teachers now Um, because I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to history and we, in explaining it in a way that can be heard, I think we start at some level where perhaps we leave out history or leave out tradition completely because it maybe complicates it or makes it whatever. But in that sense, sometimes I think we lose something.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, because I think, uh, to me, I just, I was just, of observation, it feels really arrogant to think that I can come up with some snoo starting place that someone already hasn't thought of or explained it or, uh, or that I'm, that I am starting from scratch, like a blank slate tabula rasa, um, that just on the other hand feels incredibly arrogant because I'm a, I'm a historical being You know, a lot of these these new science, um, neuroscience and the new psychology is showing how much I'm impacted by my own genealogy, you know, my um, heredity, my DNA, and I'm a historical being. So, I I just can't pull things out of thin air and start over. Um, It just doesn't work that way as much as I think sometimes we want to try. So... Yeah, I think that's an important point. And even for as we try to teach and communicate, uh or as we're in a Bible study talking about it, it's important to consider the past interpretations and applications.
0: Yeah, we're not a blank slate. That I mean that's a that's as to your point, where even if we wanted to operate as if we're coming from a blank slate place, we're not a blank slate. And so that's actually false. And so we are bringing something forward. We probably should think about what those things are. Okay. You know, where is this coming from? And I, I do think that doesn't mean we don't revisit doctrine or revisit something like, um, you know, it has to be something probably controversial that it would be a good example, like perhaps a women's women leadership in the church. Yeah, uh, It's good to revisit that and to, you know, is was this just a cultural thing um and i think it's it would be unwise to why you know where did this teaching come from you know make the best argument for it and then argue against it and see where it see where you come out on that uh yeah. and for me that's a good one because it's not something i'm a hundred percent positive on Yeah, uh, as i say i think i'm i'm a complementarian uh you know which is differentiation in male and female roles uh, but it's like 5149
1: mm-hmm. like
0: i i think i am but I, it's not something i'm 100% sure of it's something i hold pretty loosely uh and it you know it is it's an, it's important for me to say okay somebody who has a different view who's 100% one way or 100% the other way how do you get there what do you listen to uh you know and i just think always the the making the best argument for the the doctrine you're not sure of and then deciding, rather than making the worst argument, and then you can, you know, straw man argument, and then you can mm-hmm. pick it apart. Uh, there is some level of humility of maybe there's maybe there's a few things here I haven't thought of. You know, maybe yeah, maybe God said something true to these people that I should listen to, even though it seems, uh, it, it, you know, it seems maybe out of step now, but still might be right. Uh, and that's what I'm accountable to. So that's that's what Paul was doing and it was important to him, and it, it validating, I think, to the Galatians is that this isn't Paul's gospel. He didn't make it up. He didn't start from a blank slate. He got it from Revelation, but it's the same gospel that the other guys are preaching, and it's God's gospel, and that's really what matters. And uh, uh, and said so the gospel of freedom is preserved uh, uh, for them and for us uh, in that. And uh, you know we're coming to the end of our time, and I do think um, it's probably a good habit for us to consider for some of us who perhaps have never done this, um, but to uh, think about. I think there's a there's the I think the vo, you, you probably use this the history of Christianity's volumes one and two by Justo Gonzalez. Yeah. Uh, right. Did you use that in seminary. Mm, yeah. I just think you know to have some knowledge of. You know what the church, how the church developed, what the church taught at different times, what issues they struggled with, centuries ago that aren't issues now because our culture is different, and how they, you know, all of that is super helpful for us. And without that perspective, it's kind of hard to navigate the present moment, uh, and not be swept up in. Into the passions of the present moment. Uh, And so maybe that's a suggestion. Um, uh, Do you have another uh, resource that might be good with that? Or any thoughts about how one might explore some level of historical perspective?
1: Well, I think those are great books. They're well-written. They're easy to read. They're a little longer. But, um, yeah, if you want to dive into some church history, the Gonzales duology is a good place to start. Um, I mean, this is going to sound very 22 and 2021, but it's could be as simple as what did augustine teach on blah 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 and you're going to find some good articles um on yep. google the internet yep. what did martin luther the reformer yep. think about this and you're you're probably going to find some pretty decent articles on or has the church historically viewed circumcision baptism women's leadership yep. like you're probably going to find things that could be helpful
0: yeah i think it's good and that's what if if you do uh if you do pick up those Gonzales books, I mean, I I think I would suggest you could just read whatever, a chapter on this era or a chapter on the council, or a chapter on this or that, because I do think some level of knowledge of that is really super helpful to put the present questions in, uh, in perspective and to, you know, preserve the gospel of grace for us. So we'll leave it there. We're at the end of our time and, I hope everyone has a a great week and grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and on our YouTube channel. Just search Rogue Table Talks.